Scripture reading this morning is from Ruth, chapter 3, verses 1 through 18. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative, with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, All that you say, I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, and that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, and all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then, as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, Let it be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, Bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me. For he said to me, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Again, it's so good to be together. Uh, my name is Gray, and we'll love to meet you afterwards if we haven't met yet. We're going to turn our attention to God's Word in the book of Ruth. We've been going passage by passage through this short book in the Old Testament. Um, and um, that is our normal practice, to continue through uh, books of the Bible and to see God's Word as, as it comes to us. And there's a bit of a strange passage this morning as you read this. Uh, it is definitely the, the most contested passage in the book of Ruth in terms of what it means and what all is going on, but it is God's Word, and uh, though I began this week in much puzzlement over many of the things in this passage, it has been really like all the times that I study God's Word, it's, it's sweeter the deeper you go in. It's more beautiful the more that you see. And so as we turn to it, let's, uh, let's pray and ask for God's help this morning. Sanctify us by the truth. Your word is truth. You have revealed yourself to your beloved sons and daughters. You have given us a glimpse of who you are, what you have done, 
your desires and purposes in this world. And for that, we are thankful this morning, God. As we come to your word, I pray that we would sit beneath it, that we would learn from you, that we would cherish it, we would delight in it, and we would be changed by the truth, Lord. As we reflect on who you are, I pray that you would work by your spirit within us so that we are more living in your likeness. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Well, it's been, it's been a year and a half, um, coming up on two years, since we had um, a serious, life-threatening car accident. I, if you're newer here, you probably don't know about that. If you've been around for a while, maybe you knew that we went through a car accident outside of Munns Park in, uh, in northern Arizona. We were up for the day, or for a couple of days of snow play. Um, this was in the winter, and we were driving home after a storm, and uh, it was dangerous out. We were being careful, but there was still black ice on Highway 17, and we ran off the road, lost control, flipped my truck uh, multiple times with all six of us in the car, including my son, who was still in the womb, not yet born. And by God's provision and protection, um, we had very minor injuries after such a serious accident. But I remember I was thinking this week about the people who stopped and helped us on the side of the road. Several cars uh, pulled off the side of the road and helped us. I was in shock. Um, all of us were. We could barely answer any questions. And uh, I remember this woman uh, who happened to be, I remember this detail, she was a physician's assistant. She was driving behind us. And she was there to help us medically. And uh, hers is really the only face that I remember from, from that day. But I remember her caring for us. She took charge of the situation. She helped us. And at one point, with all the questions she was asking, though I don't remember what they were, um, I believe it was her who asked me, do you have a coat? She's been standing out in, in the snow for about half an hour and just had a light sleeve uh, on, and of course, I was in too much of a shock to realize then that I needed, and then I, and then I remember realizing, oh yeah, I am cold. All of a sudden, I am cold, just with her words of saying, do you have a coat? And I mumbled that I thought I had one in, in the truck, and so she disappeared, and then I don't actually remember who put it on me, but at some point, a black coat was being placed on me covering me. And I think about that. There's very few snatches of memories, but for some reason I remember being covered by the coat. And I know where that coat is in my closet, right at the end. And whenever I see that coat, it's usually not warm enough to wear it, so it's a, an unusual event when I wear it. But when I see that coat, it's a, it's a picture to me. It's a symbol. It's a reminder. I was covered. My family was covered by strangers. People we had never met before covered us. They covered us with their love and compassion and their care for us. I was covered by friends. Some of you in the room helped us, got us back home, found places for us to stay. I was covered, of course, by the hand of God. 
who protected us. And, and the picture that the Scripture gives of that kind of covering, that kind of protection, often is to be in the shadow or in the shade of wings. It's a beautiful picture. Psalm 57, one, verse 1 says, In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge. And there's a huge theme in the Scriptures about the covering of God, that He covers us. Sometimes it's the picture of, of an eagle uh, or a hen. That, so that's the image of the wings. It could be an eagle or a hen. Both are pictured in the Scriptures as covering their young. And so that could be the picture. It could also be the, um, the picture of a garment being placed on us, like that coat was placed on me, that you are now covered with something, with clothes of white in the book of Revelation, for instance. There's also pictures of shade, the, the hand that's outstretched, God is pictured as a hand that, that is held against the sun so that we can receive some protection and we find ourselves covered by His shade. And I want to talk about that theme this morning because that's what Ruth prays really to Boaz to spread your wings over me for you are a redeemer. She found herself in a situation where she was needing to be covered. And I think it's a very human thing to wonder about. And maybe in very dangerous situations, uh, we, we see it more clearly, but it's, it's all the time really. We're, we're asking ourselves, am I covered? Am I protected? Am I supported? Does anyone have their wings over me? Does anyone really care about what happens to me? Uh, even just this morning, a few conversations I've had with a few of you revealed that this was a hard week for whatever reason. I hope it wasn't. I hope that's not true of everybody, but I just heard snatches of it even this week. It was a hard week for us as well. And that we wonder somewhere at the edge of our consciousness, even if it's not a known desire all the time, there is a desire for complete rest and safety, to find ourselves under the wings of God. Ruth says to Boaz, spread your wings over me, for you are a redeemer. And we want the same thing. I want to ask that question this morning. How do we find a resting place in God? How do we find a resting place in God? How do we find ourselves under His wings to, to know what we wonder about? Am I protected? Am I covered in some kind of way? And I think that the answer that this passage gives us is there's this kind of beautiful interaction between three things, plans, prayers, and promises. And I think it's in the interaction of those three things that we see how Ruth finds herself covered in Boaz's protection and ultimately as an instrument of God's protection. So I want to look at those three things, plans, and then prayers, and then promises. First, plans. Because this passage is really about the plan of Naomi. The plan of Naomi to, that she gives to Ruth so that Ruth can be redeemed. It's a scheme. It's an idea. It's a, it's a gamble. It's a, um, it's a process that she comes up with, and it is very strange to us what ends up happening in this passage. But 
she comes up with this plan because she realizes this would be a good time to define this relationship. Um, that was a thing for, for me. I don't, I don't think that's still what the, what the kids are saying. Um, but DTR was the, the phrase that we used in high school to define the relationship, right? How do you, what's going on here? Um, it's, been, it's, it's the time now of threshing. So it's been six to eight weeks probably since when, when Ruth started gleaning in the fields of Boaz. And Naomi is thinking, okay, it's been two months. We've been here. We've been gleaning. It's time to define what this relationship is going to be. Is this going to be an eternal gleaning relationship, right, where we get some food from this generous man? Or is now um, a time to ask if he's going to give us a bit more, right? Now's the time for bold action. Is he going to put a ring on it, basically, you know? Let's define this, this relationship. So she directs Ruth to go down to the threshing floor, and there's this elaborate scene where she tells her to uncover his feet and, uh, and then to say certain words and then to see what Boaz says. It is a mysterious account. It's strange to our ears, and I'm going to explain uh, some of what we think is going on in this passage, but I want to just take away some of the strangeness of it for you to see the overall theme or the overall thing that Naomi is trying to do. Because this elaborate scheme really has one goal. To let Boaz know Ruth's desire for marriage in such a way that if Boaz says no, Ruth will still be protected. Okay? So there's some complexity here. There's some weirdness but you got to understand that that's the main goal. Naomi wants to present to Boaz where they are, what they desire, in such a way that if he says no, Ruth will not be found out and will not be further harmed. And that's the reason for all the secrecy and the cloak and veil of, of the passage because she could not, in this culture, just walk up to Boaz, leave him a note and saying, you know, let's, let's meet later and talk about this relationship without scandal coming upon Ruth. And so this elaborate plan is basically that. Let's walk through the plan, Naomi's scheme. First, she tells Ruth to prepare herself, wash yourself. Verse 3, wash, your, wash therefore and anoint yourself and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor. Now, why does she do this? Why does she tell Ruth to, to prepare in this way? Is she just trying to get Ruth to say, to, to look your best? Um, probably a lot more than that. Almost certainly, Naomi is telling Ruth here to come out of mourning. That sequence of wash, anoint, wash, dress, anoint is the same sequence in 2 Samuel 7, for instance, when David is mourning his son, the loss of his son with Bathsheba, he washes himself, he dresses, and he anoints himself so that he moves out of mourning. And so what Naomi is telling Ruth is, look, you can't expect Boaz to be interested in you if you are dressed in mourning. That would not be culturally appropriate for him to pursue someone who's in mourning. It's probably perhaps the reason in some ways that, that Boaz has not done this so far is because Ruth was clearly still in mourning for her husband. 
So Naomi says, you've got to come out of mourning. And then she gives her this plan to go down to the threshing floor so that uh, she can find Boaz when he's not around other people. The threshing floor was a place where men would stay. When their, uh, their grain was collected, they would thresh it on this floor, and then they would have heaps of grain. What Boaz is doing uh, here is very common. He's guarding his pile of grain. He's laying on top of his grain uh, so that no one else will come and get it. And so this was a common practice. She tells him to go and uncover Boaz's feet or his limbs and wait and see what he says. Now, if you think that is a strange thing, you would not be the first person to think that there's something strange or maybe even um, searching for words here that would be appropriate for this context. Uh, Maybe a salacious or maybe a questionable thing that Ruth is doing here, that there is, is there some kind of sexual overtone to this passage? Now, I would think there is. I think there is, and I think that the Bible tells us this for a very specific reason, not because Ruth and Boaz do anything that God does not want them to do on the threshing floor, but for a different purpose altogether. So let's talk about the strangeness of this a little bit. When we are told here that she goes to the threshing floor, many have pointed out that the threshing floor is identified in in ancient literature as sometimes a place where things happen that are illicit in some kind of way. That is true. There is evidence of that. There is also the particular language that's used in this passage um, also points to that. There is some... um, What's the word I'm searching for uh, when you soften a word uh, that's euphemism, thank you. Um, there is some euphemistic language in the passage as well. Words like uncover and feet and, um, and a couple of others that would suggest that the Bible is perhaps softening a little bit of what is intended here. Those are used in elsewhere in Scripture to talk about other sexual encounters. But really, the main reason why people think or wonder, at least, if something inappropriate happens here is because of the similarity of this passage to Genesis 19. And I think that in that connection is where we understand what's actually happening in this passage. Genesis 19 is a terrible story that I will not recount the details of here, but you can read it if you want. It's the story of Lot and his daughters and how his daughters took an inappropriate path towards securing the family name. And one of the daughters of Lot had a son whose name was Moab. And Moab became the name of the people who identified as Moabites, of which the Bible keeps reminding us every time just about Ruth's name comes up, Ruth the Moabite. And so some have said, because of the similar situation here, there must be something going on here that was similar to the situation of Lot and his daughters. Is this pointing towards perhaps the Bible is softening something with this story that's actually sinful? I agree with all of those uh, assessments of the words and the situations and the similarities, but I think it's the exact opposite of that conclusion. 
Boaz is worthy. Ruth is worthy. The Bible has gone out of its way to tell us that. The Bible is not shy about condemning sexual situations, by the way. If, if, this, if this was one of those situations, we would expect to see that. However, what I think is actually going on is the exact opposite. What Ruth is doing here is she is redeeming her grandmothers. She is redeeming the name of Moab. That, that the, the source of, of this terrible situation, that we're uh, an evidence of someone who takes hold of, of, of a situation and says, I'm going to make it my way, and God's going to honor my name through my actions. She's actually just offering herself and saying, I am here to be redeemed. And she lets Boaz and God take the story from there. She's redeeming the name of Moab. She's stopping short of what her grandmothers would have done, the daughters of Lot. And she is trusting in God for her redemption. So, strange story. We had to get that part out of the way. I understand that it's a strange thing to read. But I don't see it as being risque. I think it's very risky, though. It is bold. It's not sexual, but it is intimate. What if she were discovered? She is risking her dignity, perhaps a fear of rejection. She's risking her mother-in-law's future. What if Boaz misinterprets these actions the way that some, have, some commentators, I think, have? <laughs> what if he isn't interested? She plans. In the story, Boaz wakes up scared to death, Right? Not every day you go to sleep on the threshing floor and you wake up and there's a woman at your feet. So he's scared to death. He says, who are you? And this is the climax of the plan. Ruth lays out her heart to him in verse 9. He said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant for you are a redeemer. That statement sounds a lot like a psalm. It sounds like a prayer. It is a prayer. She is pleading with Boaz to see a certain situation. What is prayer? Prayer is that, in a sense, directing God towards His promises. In prayer, we're not telling Him uh, what to do. We're not saying this is exactly how you have to do this. But there is a sense in which we direct God in prayer. It's a pleading with Him. Think about how we pray. Lord, heal this person. There's kind of a presumption there when we say, Lord, do this. There's a, um, a guiding or directing Him towards His own uh, self and who He is. And Ruth does the same thing towards Boaz. In a sense, she prays to him, you are a redeemer. She reminds him of who he is. And she directs him towards this path. It's up to Boaz, but she directs him with this gentle command, spread your wings over your servant. We've already talked about it, but we, that is a theme in the Scripture. And that phrase, to spread your wings, is pregnant with meaning. Of course, it is theological to talk about protection. Spread your wings so that I will be covered by you. I will be protected rest so I can rest and have a place to be. Of course, it is also an idiom for marriage. Because the word for wings can also be the word for garment or clothing. And that is one of the pictures 
of marriage in the Scripture, the sharing of a garment or the sharing of a covering. And so Ruth is, in no uncertain terms, making a marriage proposal to Boaz. Risky. I think I'm cutting out here. Am I coming back? Check one more time here. All right, old school style. Thank you. to take Naomi to task for this, that she's trying to take matters into her own hands. I don't see any evidence of that in the passage. I see a woman who is at the same time believing in God's providence, His sovereign control, but also working a plan. Even in her desperation, even in her bitterness. Do you remember in chapter 1 when she was uh, so bitter against God and yet she said, the Lord has brought this. She didn't say, you know, this was a failed plan. She said, the Lord has brought this upon me. 
And, and do you remember when Ruth, quote-unquote, happened to, to, be, to come to the field of Boaz in chapter 2? What did Naomi do? She praised God for that happenstance, for that chance. That was not a chance at all. It was God's plan. Ruth believes in the sovereignty of God. That means that she believes that God is at work and doing His purposes in the world. But that did not stop her from planning from thinking of the most logical thing that she could do. And neither should it stop us. Well, I once heard a pastor who said uh, this. It stuck with me. Uh, the sovereignty of God does not freeze us with a Z. It frees us with an S. It's cute, huh? <laughs> Stick with you. The sovereignty of God does not freeze us with a Z. It frees us with an S. We're not supposed to just be waiting uh, in this place for, for God to move outside of our purposes. That's not, nowhere in Scripture do we see that. We see God telling us to be faithful and to pursue things that we're supposed to pursue, um, things that would be good for us. And then He moves and directs in such a way that it brings it to us. We are free to seek what we need. What do you need? We could ask, what is your plan? Do you need mo more money? Well, I, who are you going to ask for help? I, how many jobs have you applied for, right? Um, do you need friendship? Sometimes we miss the, the basics of this, right? Sometimes when we have a need, do you need friendship? Well, who are we pursuing? And, and how, how many things do we expose ourselves to? And how, how many neighbors are invited into our, our homes? Are you caught in anxiety? There are things that people do to decrease anxiety. Do you know what they are? Have you pursued them? Do you long to feel closer to God? He has given us means of grace. A, a plan to pursue God would be almost in every case part of what it means to be closer to God. Because He's given us His Word. He's given us prayer. He's given us the church. He's given us community. My point in this is not to say that, 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 that uh, God opens the door for us and then we have to walk in and it's all based on us or it's everything is, he, he provides the, the opportunity and we have to make the decision. God is with us every single step of the way, but often God provides through plans. That's often what he does. And so it's worth asking if he has already given you, in some sense, the means by which you are to be covered by him. Perhaps he has already given you the means by which you are to be covered by him. It's worth asking. Even in prayer, there is a kind of boldness here from Ruth. I think it's actually a little funny. The prayer that she says to Boaz is this, spread your wings over your servant for you are a redeemer. Well, we've already talked about the biblical significance of that, but what about the significance in this story? Do you remember that Boaz said to Ruth almost the exact same thing earlier in the book? In chapter 2, he says this. Um, he says to her, May the Lord repay you. A full reward be given to you, the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Ruth, I pray that God would give you the refuge and that you would find yourself under his wings. And Ruth repeats that same prayer back to him here as if saying to him, Boaz, have you thought about being the answer to your own prayer? 
you have wings. Spread them, and those wings will be the wings of God for me. Bold planning and bold prayer. We live, this is where we live our lives. But it is not enough to have bold planning and prayer in order to be covered. While those two things are important, they still leave the burden entirely on us. If we just say, all you need to do is plan more and pray more, where is God in this equation? We need something more solid. We need something outside of ourselves to feel protected. To put it in terms of the story, Ruth and Naomi could plan all they want. They could pray all they want. They could ask all they want of Boaz but they would not be redeemed without the action of Boaz. They needed the commitment of a redeemer in order to be redeemed. And so the, the, the question that, is, that this passage drives to is this, what will Boaz do? When I was telling that story earlier of uh, the coat being placed on me after our car wreck. I left one detail out. I said a black coat was placed on me and that I still have that coat in my closet, which is true, but the detail that I left out is it was only a few hours after that that I realized the coat wasn't mine. It was similar. It was a thick black down coat in my size, but it was a different coat, and in fact, it was a better coat. My coat had a broken zipper. My coat was thinner. This covering was better. In other words, there was an exchange, and I got the better coat, and I have no idea who has my coat, All right? There was no way for me to return it. These were strangers who stopped on the side of the road, and I never heard or saw from them again. This coat was thicker. It had a hood. And so the coat that's hanging in my closet isn't just a picture that I was covered by someone else, but that I was covered at the cost of someone else. At their loss, I gained. And of course, that makes me think about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the exchange that happens there, that he at great cost covers me. He received my sinfulness. He gave me his righteousness. And the point that I want to make in terms of this story is this, that we can plan and we should plan and we can pray and we should pray, but we have no covering unless the Redeemer acts. Unless the Redeemer says, I will cover you, unless... God does for us what Boaz does for Ruth unless he covers. What do Ruth and Naomi have? At this point in the story, what they get from Boaz is a promise. Plans, prayers, and promises. Boaz does not redeem them in this chapter. You have to come back next week to see if he does. But he does promise to do so. He promises. 
He promises with two actions, with his word and with a meal. He promises with his word. Look at verse 11. He says, And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight. And in the morning, if he will redeem you, good. Let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. It's a promise. What is his promise to Ruth? Either way, I will see to it that you are redeemed. What are the details of redemption? We're going to talk about that a little bit next week. Here, just know this. He says, I will rescue you. I will bring you into my family. You will be protected. You will be safe. I'm going to see to it. I promise this. There is another Redeemer. We'll talk about his story next week. But if he will not redeem you, I will. And I want you to think about the relief that Ruth feels in the presence of this worthy man when he promises, I will see to it, you have my word. In that moment, all of the planning and all of the prayers come to fulfillment, don't they? He promises with his word, and then he promises with a meal. Look at verse 14. So she lay down at his feet till the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came, that the woman came to the threshing floor. Here's more of that risk. And he said, bring the garments you were wearing and hold it out. And she held it. And he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city, and when she came to her mother-in-law's, she said, how did, you, how did you fare, my daughter? And then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me. For he said, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Ruth leaves with more than a word. She leaves with a pledge of a meal. More barley. This is Boaz's love language, I'm just realizing. This keeps happening, right? In other words, she leaves with a foretaste of the provision to come. That's what the barley said. He don't, don't leave empty-handed. This is significant, what's just happened here. I promise to redeem you. Don't leave empty. Don't leave empty. In fact, he says, yeah, he says that, even though it's not recorded the first time. Ruth records it later, saying, he said to me, don't go back empty-handed, or just, it's just the word empty there, which is significant. Don't go back empty. Why? Because that's exactly what Naomi has said God had done to her at the end of chapter one. Why call, call me Naomi? I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. And Boaz says, no, he hasn't. He hasn't left you empty. Don't leave empty. He has pledged a fullness. This were three chapters in the book of Ruth. Every single chapter ends in barley. Do you see the theme there? You will not return empty. The meal is a pledge. 
What is the pledge saying? It's saying full redemption is coming. It's not here yet, but it is coming. Her redemption is not complete, but it is in motion. Now there is a promise. Now there is a pledge. I will redeem you. Not just with word, but with a meal. And do we not find ourselves in the same tension, the same story that Ruth and Boaz are in? Our redemption is not complete, but it is in motion. We have the promises of God. We have the pledge of God. We have the Son of God. In a sense, the fullness has already come. But the redemption is not complete. What do we have in the meantime? We have God's Word and we have His meal. His promise and His pledge that redemption is in motion. It is coming. We have the Word of God His promise. What are some of His promises? I will never leave you or forsake you. Come to me all who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. He who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. The Word of God, the promises of God are a real refuge to the brokenhearted. That is where we find ourselves covered under the wings of God. It's not just that we make plans and then God says, okay, I'll give that to you, or that we just pray and ask for things and hope that he hears. He actually has secured certain things for us with his word. His promise is sure. What is your need? Where do you feel uncovered? Where do you feel vulnerable? I guarantee you there is a promise of God for that. He has not left us without His Word. And He has not left us without a meal. His pledge to us is to feed us with Himself at the table. And every time that we do, every week that we do come to His table, it is a reminder, your redemption is pledged. It is secure. This is a foretaste. Here's a little bit of barley to remind you that in the end, there is more barley. There is a harvest. That is where the story is going. It, re- it ends with God's provision for us. And all we have now is a taste, but a taste is a pledge. And we have the promises of God. When we eat the meal, we're reminded of what we're pledged. That Christ will feed us forever. That we will always have a place at His table. That we will be His special bride. The way that Ruth will be Boaz's. That He will say, I will cover you forever. How do we know that we've been covered by God? The interaction of these three things that I talked about, I think, is a picture of what being under God's wings means. Resting under the wings of God looks like being free enough to make our plans, bold enough to offer our prayers, and trusting enough that God's promises are a real refuge for us. Free enough to make plans. Under God's wings, there's lots of freedom. Under the wings of God, He gives us lots of room. Under the wings of God, He lets us direct Him in prayer. There is nothing wrong with us saying to God, you are a redeemer. Pull me out of this situation. Is this bringing you glory that I am found here? 
Do what you've promised to do. That bold prayer is so important to, find, to trust in God. But finally, and most significantly, trusting God does not come from our own action. It comes from the action of the Redeemer. That God promises and pledges Himself to us in Jesus Christ. And that we are called to find a refuge, a real refuge in that. That He has said specific things to us. Do you know what He said to you? Do you cling on to those promises? Do you hold tight to those things and believe them? Because He has given to them to us as a gift. Do you shelter under Him? One of the things that God's Word says to us is the exact words that Boaz says to Ruth. In Isaiah 43, God says, I've called you by name. I will redeem you. I will redeem you. As Boaz says to Ruth, either way, I will see to your redemption. And God has made the same promise to us. If you find yourself under the shadow of His wings, if you have trusted in Christ, been united to Him, then His promise is to you, I will redeem you. I will buy you back. I will marry you. I will bring you into the family. I will feed you forever. Let's pray.